On today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're discussing urban survival. Today's video is brought to you by Bike Tricks. Check out their amazing e-bikes at the link below. And we're back. Today we're joined by uh, three former military members who have experience in urban survival. Um, I'll let each of y'all introduce each other first. Why don't we start uh, with you, Mike? I'm Mike Sterling from uh, ISSI. I'm a master EOD technician, uh, 23 years in the Army, several several tours in Iraq, Afghanistan, other places that not a lot of people find on maps. Appreciate your service, Mike. Don? Yeah, I'm retired Navy. I serve SEAL Team 1, SEAL Team 2, and SEAL Team 6, and I've been doing contract work with the government ever since I retired and enjoying every bit of it. Yeah, we appreciate your service too, Don. Um, Eric, why don't uh, you give us a quick rundown of your background, and then I know you've got some immediate thoughts on how we can uh, deal with urban survival in, in the context of riots. All right, you bet. So my name is Eric Christensen. I'm the CEO of a company called Nutrient Survival. Uh, I'm also former military. I uh, was in the service for 11 years total between school and uh, and, and serving this great nation. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think when it comes to the subject of, of civil unrest, the thing to keep in mind is this too shall pass. The mob will roll by you. And it's a question of whether or not you want to get involved and escalate the situation with your personal involvement or not. And, you know, I, I think probably the best policy is get inside, uh, remove yourself from risk. They're looking for an easy target. Now, certainly you have the right to defend yourself, to defend your property, defend your your personal well-being, to defend your family from harm or from uh, a life-threatening you know, situation. But they're looking for an easy target and and they you know if you present yourself and you you know brandish a weapon or you pull it that's typically not going to be a good situation to get into it's it's going to go the other way especially if you're outnumbered uh you know don't forget if you're inside and somebody breaks in you know that home better than anybody you know where all the corners are uh you know where the light switches are right it is your advantage it's just like a defensive position in the military, you know, when you when you attack a defensive position, you, you have to have pretty <clears throat> I'm sorry, defense. You have to have pretty overwhelming odds to have a good shot of overrunning that defensive position. We all know that same situation with your home. OK, that is your that is your dominion. Uh, it's unfortunate if you look around, you know, we we had escalating riots just recently with BLM riots and it seems more and more every day. Somebody's in the streets doing something. And many of these um, have the potential to go wrong. You know, so if you if you've got a, a bunch of kids walking around, whether they're on, on drugs or, or not, and they knock over your mailbox or they, they hit your, you know, your your fence or, or your personal property, chances are they're just trying to make a scene and they've got other business to, to attend to. OK, and it's probably best, again, just let it happen and, and let them pass. Now, that's that's me. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to pull out uh, and escalate the situation. We, we've seen firsthand, you know, with the BLM riots in St. Louis, what happens when uh, Mark and Patricia McCloskey, if you recall, uh, they had BLM rioters charging through their their residential area. They came out on the on the lawn with an AR-15 and another pistol, wasn't even functional pistol, and they were the ones that were charged with, with the crimes. And the, there were no BLM riots charged in the crimes that I'm aware of. But they actually ended up having to plead guilty after being raked through the coals by, you know, the liberal political system, the liberal prosecutor uh, that gave more the benefit of the doubt to the rioters than to the homeowner. So where's justice in that? But that's the situation that you're facing. So it's a, it's a really serious deal if you start to you know pull out rifles and, and pistols and the like. Y'all want to add to what Eric's points are? Eric, I, I, I agree with that 100%. You know, um, you do have to de-escalate a situation. We could be well-armed. We're all well-armed. But, you know, I live out here in the mountains. I'm not going to have to worry about it. But if I live near a city or an urban area and a mass of people started to gather, for one, I should know what's going on because I pay attention to the news and social media and things like that if it's accredited and you can trust it. 
you can you can a lot of the stuff you can see what's going on with just the news reports. If a gang of people starts gathering, like with the BLM riots or any of these riots, and they're going to come more and more frequently, I think it is our safest position to take is de-escalate when possible and get in the house. And when you're in the house to have a plan, your family and you have to have a plan. What's going to happen if X occurs? If there's a mob outside, yeah, standing outside with two weapons, one non-functioning uh, pistol is not a good idea. They were just trying to stand their ground, but they weren't yeah. trained. They weren't trained. What would have been better for them and kept them out of trouble, they were just good Americans, to be inside. And while they're inside, know where the little safe area in their house could be, where they have the cell phone and the weapons and a flashlight. And what I teach my family and friends is if someone's going to come in my door and I hear somebody in the middle of the night, I have this corner for my cover and concealment or at least concealment. And I have my weapon pointed at that door and I know where my exit is. Um, the whole family has to have a plan what to do if if it comes into the house. But go inside, stay inside till, like Eric says, the problem leaves and try not to go outside. If you do have to go outside, go out in the daylight or go out with somebody, but have a plan. I was uh, almost attacked a few weeks ago. I was at a gas station and um, this tall guy comes up next to me. He looked high as you could be. And uh, he said, hey man, you got some money? And I had a, a weapon, not on me, but right in my truck. And I have the engine block between me and him, knowing that's cover. I have cover. I had a plan. And I knew I could grab my weapon any moment. I put the vehicle between me and him. I said, no, I don't have any money. I use credit cards. And he looked at me like I felt like he wanted to, to start something up. I'm an older guy. He was a young, big, tall guy. And he walked a step closer to me. At that point, thanks to Gen, uh, uh, Colonel Cooper, who I got to go through his training, the color codes came into play. Conditioned white, as I'm totally unaware of my surroundings, I could care less what's going on. I'm paying attention to my phone. I've got ear pods in. I'm watching a video. Totally unaware of my surroundings. I was not in conditioned white. Condition yellow, condition yellow, there could be a threat around here. I'm not too concerned. I'm slightly aware of my surroundings. But when that guy came up to me, I had to go to condition orange. I had to go from the thought he could attack me. I looked at him to see if he could have a weapon. I think he could have had a weapon in his butt pack or in those pants that were halfway down his hips. He could have had a weapon. And But what I was ready to do is go to condition red, fight or flight. And I was ready to fight if I had to. But I de-escalated the situation, went to my side of the vehicle, I looked at him like I didn't want to fight, but if I was going to, he would have lost and I would have won. I know that. And um, I think it's important de-escalate and use those color codes so you don't go from white to red, where all of a sudden all your adrenaline is, all mm -hmm. your adrenaline is used up and you're not thinking clearly. To use the color codes thinking, okay, there's civil unrest going on. There are people outdoors. Let me get my family inside. Let's brief what we're going to do. Let's stay inside. Let's have a place that's a safe area. And bring the escalation up and up and up when you need to. And then the fight or flight, if that if those people are going to come in my house, I'm not going to die. I'm going to fight it out. And then that's when you fight. And that, that's what I'd like to say on that. Yeah, I, th I think you and I have actually discussed the uh, gas stations previously, Don. If you're going to get accosted... It's a high probability it'll be at a gas station. That's somewhere you definitely have to be situationally aware. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on, you know, we've got a riot occurring and you live in the area that it's occurring? So, of course, you know, the key to all of this is is preparation well in advance. I spent a lot of time with special forces teams and, you know, the the, the GBs, all, all it is with them is is plan, prepare, plan, prepare, plan, prepare. It's just a constant loop with those guys. And, um, and we had, we put together a couple of plans and the like in, uh, it with our, with some of our friends in Atlanta so that 
you know, we had plans in place. And uh, for example, we had one of our, we had one of our, our folks who did not live in a great neighborhood. And one of the riots were actually coming into there during the time that Atlanta PD was phoning it in. Uh, so that was a weird time in Atlanta. And uh, he had a, uh, he had a wife that was like 11 months pregnant you know, the poor girl, I felt bad for her. Uh, he had a couple of kids and he also had, uh, he also had a, uh, his mother-in-law was disabled. So he didn't have a whole lot of help and he had, he had his kids. So he did exactly what Eric talked about. He stayed inside. He, you know, maintained a very low profile, you know, camouflage doesn't just mean blending in with the leaves. You know, if you can, if you can just maintain a low profile, you know, do not escalate it, stay there. That was fine. Well, at a certain point it started escalating, not due to any, any, you know, choice of his, but he starts getting rocks thrown through the windows and everything like that. He just went ahead. He made the call and he called us and we already had a QRF put together a quick reaction force. So uh, we had had a six person QRF show up to his house because he, he made the call and he said, listen, he says, I need, you know, I've hit my tripwire point here that I need to evacuate. I need to displace this, this, this house. Um, You know, the security situation has gotten to the point where we can't stay here. If we, if we get into this, it's going to go bad for everybody involved, just like Eric talked about. So instead of going to fight, he said, listen, I can't fight with a family full of, of, you know, non-combatants at my back. He says, that's, he said, it's just not smart. So we pushed a six man QRF up to the front of his house and helped him load his family into there while being able to provide security for the situation. And believe me, the, the, the people that were the rioters, as soon as we showed up, and started giving the hard eye to everybody, not brandishing weapons or anything like that. Now, granted, we had plenty of them inside the truck uh, and a couple of people sitting on those in case they were needed. But all that it all that it was necessary was a show of force. We loaded him and his family up into there. We got them out of the neighborhood. And actually, his house was left alone other than a couple of broken windows. It, it turned out to be not a real big deal. I think I think everybody kind of got the message. So prior planning is a huge thing. And if you need help, get that help. But getting your neighborhood together mm-hmm. and having having def- defense in depth and and actually, you know, working together for a, a combined defensive plan that is far better than just going it alone as a, as a single individual or, or as a single family, you can only stay awake and alert for maybe up to 48 hours. Uh, I mean, your, 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 your alert level is going to really start declining after 24 hours. So, um, you know, if, if, if you don't have to do it alone and as a matter of fact, you can't really do it alone. So yeah, ha- having help either from, from internal sources or external sources. So uh, that's really interesting, Mike. You know, we're running some polls, uh, you know, asking for what people would like to see covered uh, as it relates to urban survival. One of the comments was, would love to see something on how to get like-minded people around you to band together, get a multifamily, multi-neighbor type plan put together. Yeah, and that's I, I think that's one of the problems with our society. Uh, is that the the vast majority of us, we don't even know our own neighbors, you know, go, go meet with your neighbors, at least at the bare minimum, you're going to be able to find out which ones are going to be contributors and which ones are going to be just anchors at the bare minimum. You find that out. Congratulations. Now, you know, something that you didn't know before, uh, find out which ones are going to require defending and which ones are going to be there to help or which ones are going to be uh, an outright, you know, they're, they're going to wind up joining the mob. Okay, that but you know that that's your intelligence prep, and if you if you're not doing your intelligence prep for your area, what are you doing? All right, mm-hmm. the, it's 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 not what's going on in Turkey. It's not what's going on in Central Africa. It's not what's going on in Taiwan or Ukraine. It's what is happening five miles from you. The threat around the in the next block over is the threat that's going to kill you that you can actually do something about. And in the Intel world, that's the 60, 30, 10 rule. 
Um, and if you, if you happen to listen to the, the guys from Ford observer, um, Mike pushes that big time. They're, they're a great, uh, great intelligence network, but you spend 60% of your time of your intelligence time, worrying about threats in your immediate area of operations, be that your county or your neighborhood or whatever, because that's a threat that's going to wind up coming after you. You know, that's the one that's going to show up. And that's the one, if you don't know about a, sh- a threat that's right down the road, there's a huge shock when that threat presents itself. So for, forewarned is forearmed on that. That's my thoughts. You know, I, uh, I'd like to add something to that and and i i feel as a domestic terrorist you know because i'm a law-abiding patriot who believes in protecting your home and family and i believe in uh our rights so we're labeled domestic terrorists when i talk to folks who aren't like-minded like all the four of us are and i mentioned protecting your home protecting your family just be aware be aware of your surroundings they think i'm paranoid they really think I'm paranoid. Even my own family, at times, they think, "Oh, you're crazy. You, you read, you, 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 you think the whole world is uh, going to be attacked at any time." And then I, you know, sometimes you think you're talking to a wall. And I have eight neighbors here on this mountain I live on, and I had to take out a shotgun and shoot at a bear two nights ago. There was a bear at my house, and the bears have been doing a lot of damage. And I wrote a text to everybody. I said, "Hey, if you heard some shotgun blast, that was me at my house." And they, two of them, super liberals, wrote back and said, I can't believe you would have a gun in your house. How terrible you would shoot your gun like that. So, you know, I always go back to the wolf is out there. There is a bad guy out there. He might be a terrorist. He might be a criminal. He might be some punk on drugs trying to get money for his fentanyl or or his heroin. But most of us are not bad guys. But we all, we don't have to be paranoid, but we have to be aware the bad guy can be anywhere, and we have to be ready to defend our families and our homes and ourselves. And um, and so I believe in the sheep, the sheepdogs, and the wolf theory. You know, we're all good people. You need sheepdogs every now and then, like the four of us, where we can go and protect people, maybe our neighbors who need it, because the wolf is out there. And we don't have to be paranoid about that wolf, but we do have a plan, and we do know how to react mm-hmm that wolf does appear. Eric, yeah, I, I, yeah, sure. I see you've been taking some notes, so I'm curious what well, your thoughts are. I mean, it's this is great. So I live in a community, and we've got a, a, a fence, right? So there's 15 homes in there, and I'm absolutely the youngest guy around, and I just got elected to be uh, on the board of directors for the HOA, okay? So we have a, a little local one, and... Um, so I have older folks around me and they, they kind of see me a little bit as the, as the young blood and they know what I do, but it's just the basic things relative to what you can do for your, uh, you know, to, to your, in your community, like Mike said, the 60%, who is within your immediate community? And do you have, do you have a group chat set up? How are you going to maintain communication? I mean, something as simple as that. Now you, I'm sure you all remember neighborhood watch. Right, neighborhood watch. That is a pretty uh, well accepted program that doesn't have uh, teeth to it necessarily in terms of wow, you're you're crazy, you're out there. I mean, something like hey, yeah, I'm, I can get on with that. I I think that's a good idea. So it might be if others within that community, not everybody's going to have the same belief system, but they can probably agree to something as simple as a neighborhood watch. Hey, let's. Let's do this. Let's get this together. This will be in our best interest. Let's put up some signs. You know, deterrence. Uh, it, it's it's like Don said. You know, there are wolves, and what do wolves look for? I have a wolf here. And this is we're a good wolf, but what do wolves look for? They look for the weak prey. They look for the weakest animal in that pack. Uh, I'm sorry, in that herd that they can single out, that they can separate. And that they can take down and have for dinner. The same thing with us, right? With with us, if we ha- if we're an easy target, we're just inviting, you know, them to 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 go for us. And so, if you can present as an individual or as a community deterrence, and that you're not an easy target, you've got lighting, you've got cameras, 
They can be hooked up or not. And, you know, just even from a deterrent standpoint, you don't have to go all the way, but it just creates this, this appearance that I am a strong, uh, protected and will defend myself person, home, community. Uh, and so go someplace else, go someplace else. Cause we, we're, we got this place covered. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent of target hardening. So, you know, our house has thorny bushes around all the windows. We've got fencing, we've got security cameras, we've got motion detection devices, not just for lights, but like an early warning system. So, you know, if our place looks hard to break into, you're right, they're going to go to the neighbors. But when we're talking in the context of riots and, you know, a couple of people have already brought up the prospect of mind altering drugs being used mm-hmm. at that point in time, everything, all bets are off, yeah. right? Like you, yeah. you could be the hardest yeah. target of them all, but some lunatic, you know, if he's focused on you or your family or your property, um, bad things right. happen. Well, it, you know, I think the 48 hour piece the comment was made around you, you need to sleep at some point you need to sleep. I don't know what that limit is if you're on drugs, but at some point the riot, the crowd has to, has to die down. It's not going to be continuous. Now, if you're talking about Haiti and the gangs running crazy and taking shifts, then that's a different situation. I don't think we've seen continuous rioting here in the, in the States. Uh, you know, so uh you know, if if, that, if that's the case, I think this is an entirely different conversation relative to, you know, what, what Mike was saying, um, or I'm sorry, Don was saying around having a plan and who's going to take the, the day shift, the night shift, right? Uh, and that, that could be even more of a community um, uh, plan as well, so that you have support, right, for, for the neighborhood. So why don't we explore that a little bit? Because the first thing that came to my mind was the situation in Portland, where you had this, the Chaz zone, you know, with the Antifa and granted they weren't organized, you know, say at a police or military level, they were pretty organized and Mm -hmm. basically took over that section of that, that city. And I know somebody who was living there at the time, very conservative person. And when the dust cleared, they left Oregon and came back here to the South uh, because they refused to be subjected to that. But it, it, let's just say something like that happens again. Let's say the Antifa or somebody else comes in, you know, uh, stakes a claim to, you know, a geographical area in a urban center. What do you do? You know, Mike, is this a situation where you just get out or dodge as fast as you can or. Yeah. I, you know, like we talked about in, in, in my previous thing, you know, what's, what's the, what's the best way to avoid the problem? Well, don't be there when it, when it happens. And that's, you know, that's, that's where your, your continuous rigid intelligence cycle comes in. If, if you're not, if you're not paying attention to what's happening around you, if you're not, you know, turn on the scanner. I mean, a, uh, let's face it, a Bearcat scanner is not that expensive. And if you could be listening to what's going on, and there's also a couple of really good uh, web-based uh, intelligence tools out there as well uh, that, you know, you just watch what's going on and, and you know, let's face it, the mainstream media is not going to be real good about it, but the local media, usually you can get some, some decent Intel, but between that and listening to the scanners for, you know, what local law enforcement is doing, you, know, you might be able to, might be able to work that up. But if you don't know what's coming again, you don't know how to, re- how to, you know, be reacting to it. But if you're in an, if you're in a situation where you're getting ready to get surrounded, you're going to get locked in, um, you know, this is this is kind of the same situation that that uh, the Jewish communities ran into in Eastern Europe with the uh, with the ghettos and everything. Hey, you know, they had an opportunity to get out. They should have gotten out in this case. Yeah, uh, I'm going to displace. I'm, I'm not going to. This is a tripwire point for me. You know, in, in our plans, we establish a series of tripwire points. You know, if this event happens, we got to go. Um, I'm not going to stay there. My my uh, my stepson actually lives in the Chaz zone in Seattle or what used to be the Chaz zone in Seattle. And he said, virtually nobody that lives there was an original member. Everybody moved out of that area after, after that event happened, like 80%, something like that. So um, yeah, this is a tripwire point for me. I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, if, because again, you're, you're choosing to stay there and be surrounded. You no longer have defense in depth and you've got to have defense in depth. Just, just like Eric was, uh, Eric and Don were talking about. If you don't have defense in depth, if you don't have distance between you and them, and now they're all around you, 
you're you're in a siege situation. They they can they can turn you into a prisoner inside your own home. They may not need to take you out. You know, so at, at a certain point, you're gonna need to leave. So what happens? While getting's good. So what happens if you you have these people who are not situationally aware, and they end up under siege before they realize what's going on? You know, how do they contend with that? What are their, what are their options at that point in time? Well, if you're gonna stay, if you're gonna call the cavalry, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you've got a QRF available, now would be the time to call them. Uh, Yeah, you're you are in a world of hurt if you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. That's how you wind up in those kind of situations, and 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 that is bad news. You, as far as I mean, you ask Don. Don's gonna tell you at a certain point. Yeah, this is an E and E scenario. You need to go you need to go fast and and you may wind up having to buy your way out you may wind up having to you know you you may wind up walking out of there with nothing but your skin but if you can get your family out you know don't don't get too attached to stuff it's mm-hmm. it's the people in your life that you that you need and and, and of course, you know, the planning and preparation, planning and preparation, planning and preparation in advance avoids these things as being problems. But if, if you haven't, if you haven't done any of that, you're going to be in a, going to be in a, a real world of hurt. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's how, that's how you want it with a lot of people, you know, winding up, you know, getting stuck in countries. Uh, and, you know, you wind up with, you know, Don's guys or a marine trap team or somebody like that coming to coming to having to rescue them out of there because state department one of the slowest organizations on the planet has already evacuated everybody you know 72 hours prior and you just didn't pay attention and now you're stuck um, so <clears throat> unless yeah. there's a youtube video and you're in libya or something like that right right yeah <laughs> sorry not trying to make light of that situation but I, th- I think that brings out a really good point, Mike. And then, you know, we, we all are talking about our homes and, and it is nice to have a safe place for our homes. We know where we could have cover and concealment. We should have a go bag ready. I keep one in my car at all times in my truck and I have one here. If I am stuck in here for a long time, so be it. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've got food, water, ammo, weapons, comms, radios. I have security cameras, motion sensor cameras, lights. I am ready. I have an exit out of here. But I think we have to think the same way if you're with family or friends at a restaurant or a movie theater or at a school or something. And and guys like us think like this. We we keep our backs, you know, to the wall so we can see three, you know, 360 degrees. We know it's safe. We know where the exits are. We know if X hits the fan, if something hits the fan and we got to get out of here, there's my exit right here. And you you you're aware. You're looking at people, suspicious people. You sometimes you might look at their eyes. Sometimes you might look at the hands. But you're aware. You're not paranoid. You're just being aware. Because if something happens, if a bomb goes off, assaulters come in, a mob comes in, we're going to leave through this exit. And you already have a plan. We'll go in the vehicle. The vehicle I have a go bag in there. It's got medical supplies too, by the way. And um, I. Th- and we all tend to think like that. And it's surprising when we talk to civilians that they, they've never been taught that. And, and I, I feel like almost a responsibility to my family, my friends and my neighbors in a non-pushy way to say, hey, guys, I just got these blink cameras. You might want to check that. And I do that with the neighborhood watch system we have here. You should try out these blink cameras. They're so inexpensive. Five cameras around my house. I can see any activity at any time. And um, and in a non-forceful way, I try to educate things I've learned over the decades and try to educate, just try to keep everybody safe. Because if our neighborhood and community is safer, all the better, right? It's all the better for us all. Um, so I, I, I and then people say, OK, yeah, you need your back against the wall. We know it. So I just enjoy seeing what's going on. Who wants to have the back to the people and the doors and the potential action we, we don't think like that and i think it's helpful to help those who've never been taught that to learn that to, it's a better way to live not paranoid just safer that situationally aware it's i just had this discussion with uh, dr jason dean yesterday 
on how you know when you're in public especially gas stations people are glued to these things and they're not paying attention to anything that's going on around them at all and you know it's these phones and social media and stuff i think have caused tremendous problems for society in general but i don't recall like when if you go back into the 80s and 70s and stuff people weren't so distracted as they are now in my opinion you know i think the the when we talk about those around us, especially in a scenario that maybe isn't in your in your home, how to uh, you know shake somebody that's in your care, you know whether it's verbally or physically, let them know that there is imminent danger without elevating you know the situation and and causing maybe more uh, more attention, right? It's it's a super important thing that you have to have to talk through. I've got a couple kids, uh, one that's 14 still. And we were in San Francisco attending, uh, attending stranger things. She's all into stranger things. There's an exhibit and there were guys following me. There were four young guys that were following me and I had my 14 year old with me and I'm in, you know, the streets of San Francisco. And I let her know with a very stern voice, you know, it's, it's, this is not a drill, you know, follow me. And we're turning right here and don't ask questions, just pay attention and do what I do and do what I say. And you need to have, you know, I don't know if it's a, it's a, if it's a safe word or a code or something just to say, look, this is not fun and games. Um, and especially if, if, you know, we're, we are more attentive and we're more aware of this, of this situation and probably a little bit more paranoid too, you know, uh, we've got to compensate for those that aren't. And those that we love, that's our duty. That's our responsibility. And you can't shake a 14 year old kid from wanting to listen to, you know, Taylor Swift on our headphones, right? It's just, it's, it's not going to happen, but there have to, there has to be times and there has to be a situation where she, she knows that you're, you know, you're serious. So anyway, that's probably another thing that everyone should think about, if, especially if they've got others around them that they care about and that they're, that they're charged to care for. How do you keep them safe? Um, you know, I'm not a former action guy like, like Don and Mike, uh, so, and, and many of the listeners may not be so, but there are ways to do that. Right. You know, Eric, what we would teach, um, the government, uh, folks, one of the government agencies who, who get followed quite a bit from the bad guy, the wolf, it's following quite a bit. If, um, and I think it can translate to what we're talking about here, but if we are, say you're in San Francisco, and you are walking with your family or even in a vehicle and you think you're being followed because you're paying attention to all three mirrors. Okay. I'm going to take a right here. I think, I think this guy might be following me. Now I'm shifting from, you know, code yellow to code orange. I'm going to take a left here. See what happens. Yep. I'm being followed. Um, I, at that time, one, one little tip could be is go someplace where there's cameras, you know, banks or hospitals, someplace where at least you can get it recorded in a camera and um and, and do that um i think that that's a good thing in your situation that is very scary being with a young teenager who's most like any of all of them probably they're all totally unaware and you took great steps in uh and and observing what was going on and staying out of danger uh, i think what you did was just perfect and uh so many families are going to experience that more and more and more all the time so I think it's safe to get to a place where there are cameras and where, where there are people and then, uh, you know, not to step it up too many levels. But if I think like, for instance, the guy who came to me at the gas station the other day, I think it's important for us to always look around. Where's the cover and where's the concealment? I know it seems a little extra paranoid, but I, I, I can't help to think that if something happens, this little wall here. That's only that 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 protects me from being seen. That's all that is. That's some concealment, which is nice to have. But if bullets start flying, if something explodes, I need something that's going to protect me from being hurt. And it's a nice exercise. I do it with my little nephews and my grandson. Where's cover? Where's concealment? They love that exercise. That they love that exercise. You know, the engine blocks. There's engines. There's cars everywhere. There's wheels. Life lessons. Just keep. <laughs> The bullets on the other side of that engine block and, and you're going to be safe little little tips like that and i make it fun for the young kids 
to look for the difference, find the difference, is this cover or concealment? And uh, just go to places where there's cameras if you can, if you're being followed. So we've discussed riots, got some great insight on those. We've discussed having a home defense plan. So I'd mentioned that uh, we actually have a home defense uh, guide on survivaldispatch.com. It's a free download. It provides food for thought for people because everybody's situation is going to be a little bit different. But a few other things that were brought up uh, when we polled the audience. Um, and uh, So I've got three of them. Let's just start with the first one. If you're at a gas station and somebody's robbing the gas station, what do you do? My thought would be stay out of it. Stay out of it. Don't be the hero. Don't go blasting in with a weapon. Um, you know, kind of like Eric said, uh, de-escalate the situation. If you're not involved with it, just back off. Get on your phone, call 911. Um, but, you know, who wants not nothing more than to stop the bad guy from robbing somebody? Now, if if it if it comes to protecting a life, that's a different story. You know, we're going to jump in. I, I'm going to jump in. I can say that for sure. I think besides having a weapon, besides being trained on weapons, besides knowing self-defense, I think the thing that comes on top of everything that should take priority and something we can help others with is developing that combat mindset and having a mindset and, and make it strong. Like I can defend myself. I can defend my family and this is how I'm going to do it. But the mindset has to be everything and to stay calm, to be super relaxed. Okay. Actually, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I was in a situation not too long ago and um, it looked like there was going to be a big, big problem. And I was staying very, very calm. Okay. This is what I'm going to do if this happens. And because when you're calm, you can think and make rational decisions. But if you panic and you're in a gas station and it is being robbed or in a store being robbed and you panic, you're going to go slip into the white or go right into color black where you're just going to freeze and not make the right decision. So you have to stay calm, have a good mindset and have a plan. If this happens, I'm going to do this. But de-escalate if you can. Because so, not many people have the skills to do, to do more than de-escalate. So right. be truthful. Yeah. Can I speak to that real quick? done yeah. um i absolutely agree 100 and the uh from a from a training and psychological perspective on that whole thing the the cornerstone of uh the special operations training model is is this thing called stress inoculation and um and that's one thing that we we push so what we do is we 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 put you into a stressful situation we keep you in that stressful situation and we periodically ramp that up ramp it up, ramp it up, ramp it up. And I know you, Eric, you definitely saw that at Ranger School. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's all Ranger School is, it's just nothing but suffering and stress. So, <laughs> but uh, just, just stress, 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 stress. And we still push that in a lot of our training is I'm pushing you into stressful situations so that all of a sudden now, you know, things go, things are going bad. You know, the world's coming apart around you and you're the one standing there smoking a cigarette going, yeah, all right, you know, at least this isn't as bad as my training was because psychologically speaking, we do not rise to the occasion. The human being, the human mind will never rise to the occasion. It falls to the level of its training and stays there. So if, if you've, if you've built that response in advance so that you're going to be able to stay at orange. Where as opposed to, you know, what your brain is saying, no, no, we got to, we got to either fight or flight. Well, no, we do. We're going to sit here and we're going to make rational decisions and you stick with that and you get that fight between the left side and right side of your brain. So yeah, Don is absolutely hundred percent correct. And you see a lot of people going out there doing soft training. You can't do soft training. If you, if you're going to, if you're going to do this, you've got to get your brain trained and that is stress inoculation. That's an interesting concept, Mike. Uh, so there's still two other situations that were brought up. Um, what happens if if somebody, you know, accosts you is mugging you? And how do you how do you deal with that? What are your choices, at least? Well, you have to one up them. You have to one up them. If if you can't de-escalate, you're going to have to fight it out. And if if you can't, um, if you can do anything but fight it out, fine. But if you have to fight it out, that's where the plan is here. And you have to put the threat down. The threat has to go away. 
Well, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, I think the first thing to recognize, um, again, is, you know, don't put yourself in those situations, but if you're in that situation and you find yourself in a, you know, dark alley and with somebody up, uh, somebody up on you, you know, what are they looking for? They are looking for something of value and they, you know, I, I'm not sure that your average mugger wants to walk away from a dead body. So if they're looking for a watch or a 20 or whatever it happens to be, my advice would be give it up, give it up. It's not worth losing your life over. You know, if it comes to an escalation, you have to defend your life and, and protect, you know, those around you that, that, uh, you know, those, those situations are, they happen, right? It's not like you have nice muggers, but typically they're looking again for an easy payout. So, you know, it's there, there's an old Chinese strategy that says give up the give up the um, what is it? Give up the lotus tree to save the peach tree. Okay, so just hand it over, and uh, and then walk. You know, be be able to walk away alive and have your family alive. Uh, if that's not the situation, then and you know, if, if you're lucky enough to be carrying, okay, that's that's one thing. But when I was in California, I'm not carrying. Okay, so that's not an option. Uh, so my options were, you know, again, how do you avoid, how do you move to a, a situation that's more secure, more people, more lit, et cetera, and not put yourself in, you know, in harm's way. So, I mean, all of everything that y'all brought up kind of relates to the next question, a scenario I should say is what if you're, uh, you know, fixing to be a victim of a carjacking and you have your family in the car with you. Now, now what are your options? Let's say it's a let's say it's an armed carjacking, and you, you your wife is with you in the passenger seat, and you have children in the back seat. What are the choices and or and or recommendations? How do you deal with that? That's a tough one. That's a really tough one because a lot of carjackings, uh, pretty much going back to what Eric was just saying, which I agree with totally. If somebody wants your watch or your wallet give it to them. And it's not put the threat down at that point is put the threat down. If they come after you, your life is in jeopardy or your family. Um, the same with the car, the car. So what? Give them the car, but I would make sure the family's safe and out before you hand over the car. And it doesn't mean that they're going to rob you and not want to take your life as well. That's got to be kept in mind. Yeah. yeah I'm going to give them this. I'm going to give them my car, my wallet, my watch, whatever. But they still might want to take my life. And to keep that in mind, thinking this might not be all they want. He saw me. I saw them. He he, he can he can identify me. Maybe I don't want that person living anymore. That's got to be kept in mind. But I would make sure the family's out. Yes, yes, you can have the car. I'm going to get out. Here are my hands. Uh, wife, kids, get out. I'm going to get out slowly. The kids and wife are safe. My main concern is safety. Walk out, the keys are right here. Bye. Hopefully that'll be it. If if something beyond that happens, that that's a different story. But yeah, exactly what Eric said. Hand it over. Sorry. So, so Mike, you know, uh, your point on stress inoculation and you know, always, you know, falling down to whatever your level of training is. Is there any training out there for this sort of stuff for civilians? You know, because I'm, I'm not familiar with any, so I'm just curious. So it's a the the stress inoculation is part of like uh, like like if you take a TECC medical course, okay. right? It, it's an underlying channel under under a large quantity of different trainings. Right. So if I'm going to train somebody on, you know, basic defensive, defensive handgun one, there's going to be virtually no stress involved with it because, you know, we're all handling live firearms. Now, if you're now trained up in how to use that firearm and we move on to, say, defensive pistol two or carbine two or something like that. Now I'm going to start putting a bunch of stress on you while we're doing that. So it's an it's an additional point that goes into other training so if you're doing a if you're doing a basic first aid class okay fine no stress involved but if you go over to tecc teacher will see stop the bleed anything like that i'm gonna start 
I'm going to start twisting on you. I'm going to throw all kinds of bad stuff into you. I am going to take an airsoft pistol and keep on shooting you in the ankle with it. Stuff like that. You know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to do everything that I can to upset your brain process so that you start getting used to your your OODA loop being disrupted. And the more that you get used to me trying to disrupt your OODA loop, the more resilient you're going to wind up being for that. So, uh, and, and I know, I know Don and, and, and Eric have probably, you know, seen this as well, but it's, it's just, you've got to just have, you've got to have good training, but the training also needs to include stress at a certain point. So, um, so, and yeah. Well, what's an OODA loop for people who aren't familiar with the term? So the way the human brain operates, um, uh, you're, you're in a loop, a continuous loop, uh, where you observe then you orient, then you decide on what your action is going to be, and then you act upon that. And it's a continuous cycle, continuous cycle all the time. And the the key is to get into your enemy's OODA loop. If you have the initiative, get into the enemy's OODA loop and 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 circumvent their OODA loop. Keep breaking that loop. So if it if it gets all the way around to D and you break it, he's got to go all the way back to the original O and start all over again. So if it, it if if you're out in front of his OODA loop, that's that's where where you are are better. But the mental resiliency of, of that is to get ahead of them, have your OODA loop moving faster than their OODA loop, and then they can't they can't disrupt your OODA loop, just psychologically speaking. Yeah, you know what Mike says is so that's how we train in the SEAL teams as well. Uh, stress inoculation. Uh, uh, when you used to train on the pistols, a rifle range, a shotgun range, or something, you'd shoot at a paper target. That's not really doing much stress. But when you have a moving target and you're moving and they're shooting back, you're building up stress inoculation. And the more and more advanced the training gets, more creative it gets, the more stress you're under. So when it comes to real and you have to react and fight back, it's all, it's second nature. It's already in your subconscious. So you're going to react how you've been training. And also, I'm a TCCC instructor. The same thing works when we're teaching our tactical combat casualty care courses to the government troops. Because if we just stand up there and talk about A, B, C, D, E, or you know, scab situation, circulation, airway breathing, it does nothing. But when we do realistic scenarios and they come around a room where they see a car tipped over with all these moulage bladed up people and there's noises and sirens and gunfire explosions going on that's stress inoculation so when it comes time for them to go treat somebody it's usually less than the conditions we put in training and we have this saying in the seal teams i love it we have a frogman statue and buds and he's got a saying around his chest the more sweat and tears we put into training the less bloodshed in wartime so the more we can put into the training, the more realistic and the more stress we put into training when it comes for doing something for real, like protecting your home or your family or your vehicle or your neighbors, um, the easier that's going to be because your mind's been through it over and over and over again. David Grossman, who I know you know, he he puts together such a, he's put together so many great, great books, but Unfortunately, what's happening with our kids and why there's so many shootings in our schools, one of the reasons is because this stress inoculation happens to our kids playing all those video games. They shoot somebody in a video game. Good. I just uh, got some points. My girlfriend just gave me a kiss. Good, good job. You just killed somebody. You kill a bunch of people. You're doing really, really well. So what that has done, it's wiped out a little bit of the forebrain resistance. So when they go and they get this wacky idea they're going to take a gun to school and start shooting people. They've been stress inoculated through these video games, and that forebrain resistance has been broken down a bit. So for them to go out shooting, uh, these, you know, the people who go out and do these shootings in schools, they've gone through it many, many times through video games. Um, <clears throat> so that that's happening in reverse for our law enforcement and for our military. We use this advanced training, video games and things like that, to break that forebrain resistance. So when it comes to defending or going on an offense, they've been there before because they've seen it before. 
But unfortunately, it's hurting us on the other hand because of the kids whose forebrain resistance is being broken with the video games. It's a kind of a two-edged sword. Yeah. It helps us in the law enforcement and military communities and training our folks, for sure. Yeah, but makes makes uh, people numb, right? They're, they're, That's they're right. That's, numb to yeah. that type of situation. Um, Somebody, he's bleeding on the ground. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. So, you know, I retired from professional powerlifting about 10 years ago. And at, at my age now, mid-50s, I have less than zero desire to be the biggest, strongest guy in the room anymore. I'm more interested in extending my you know, lifespan as much as I can by being healthy, but also recognizing the fact, I think it was Eric first mentioned it, is that it's our job to protect our family. You know, all this woke crap might say otherwise, but at the end of the day, that, that's our job, you know, as the head of a family sort of thing. So um, we got this product sent to us uh, by Mantis. So laser training systems and not just like simple ones that go in a pistol, but with a magazine uh, that is a battery essentially, and then a replacement for the bolt carrier group and the charging handle. And so I started thinking, well, you know, I, I want to be in as good a shape as I possibly can be. So in addition to doing things like cycling and whatnot, I, four times a week, I started doing this thing that I call running gun. And so I've got a bunch of targets set up in the backyard. Of course, it's Florida, so it's extremely hot and humid. And what I do is I do like five rounds on, say, upper body day where I shoot a target, I run a course, I come back, and then I do a bunch of upper body exercises with zero break. And then I pick the gun up and go again. And my scores when I started that were absolutely pathetic. Um, I wonder, I don't know if you guys can see this when I put it up, but that particular one shot number three, I scored 39%. And so it's not the stress that y'all are discussing, but it's kind of physical stress where I'm gassed, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a world-class aerobic athlete, never was sort of thing. Um, it's amazing how hard it is without being shot back at just how hard it is when you're under physical stress to stay on target. So one of the things that this this app does just because it's germane to our conversation is that it shows you the path of your muzzle. So awesome. I, I can hit the play button. And that what a crazy pattern that was. So that was a target that was approximately 50 feet away with a, you know, Daniel Defense 300 PDW sort of thing. Uh, when I started recording the stuff and looking at it, and I thought I was pretty decent with a gun, I was like, holy crap, I suck. This is terrible, you know, and my heart rate's at 125, 130 beats per minute. And uh, again, I'm not at the level of stress you're describing, Mike, from that stuff, but physically under stress. So that's four days a week I do that now just to try and develop that muscle memory because you know I'm, I'm not very tall at five eight uh, I wasn't tall enough to be a linebacker in high school football so I played rush end so I always played the short side of the field and I had three roles contain the play own a gap or you know blitz the quarterback that was it sort of thing but when you've seen the same play a thousand times you no longer have to stop and think mm -hmm. The guy who has to stop and think is a half step behind and football is a game of speed. It's not how big and brawny you are. It's how fast you can get to the play to be in the play. And so, you know, this is relatively recent, you know, in the past few months that I started doing this type of training and I'm glad I did because where I started, you know, I still suck, but I suck even more when I started doing this stuff. So when I translate that into a situation like Don, Eric, all of you said, if you can deescalate, that's the best thing to do. But if you can't de-escalate, can you perform? And you know, I, I'm not sure that that my skills are at a level where I could, could confidently answer that as yes. You know, so I'm hoping I that if I do more, you do it, you're better. You're getting better every time, mm -hmm. and that's how it is. It's perishable skill; it goes away, and you're doing the right thing to get yourself better trained. And so your body used to going under the stress and shooting. Yeah, no, and I, I agree, Don. I'm just it's. Uh, I'm just, I, I try to correlate it to something at a higher level, like y'all are talking about. And I can't even, you know, perform at a level that makes me happy without all that stuff. But Mike, you mentioned airsoft, which is really ironic because as I started getting into this, you know, I call running gun upper body one day, running gun lower body the next day. I started thinking to myself, well, instead of just having 
you know, one target when I'm doing the aerobic part, I should have multiple targets and I should have multiple weapons at my disposal. So an AR pistol combined with a, a sidearm pistol. So I actually bought an airsoft just for that reason. And of course you have to be at close proximity when it's a pistol because the, you know, the rounds are so light they go flying all over the place. What I didn't think of and that I'm going to introduce at your suggestion, Mike, is have somebody like my wife or Denny, one of our, you know, uh, influencers to shoot me with these dang things while I'm doing it. Take it to a whole new level of sucking. It bugs you, man. You know, on it my really part. bugs you. It I really bet. does. Yeah. And it's it's a wonderful force on force training tool. I, I work with uh, uh, I work with American Milsim. And I'll tell you what, it's it is a great training tool if you can get everybody actually on the same sheet of music and and trying to, you know, actually you know not play bb gun wars um but yeah if you can and, and the big thing the big thing is you know it's, it's it's a great team training tool that's the benefit right there because not only do you need to train you know yourself but you've got to train as a team to be able to work together as a team and be able to move as a team and if you look at if you look at old you know you look at crews like 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 don's old crew those guys would do a hit and not a word would be said amongst any of those guys and, I, and i'll tell i'll tell you what don watching your guys work is a thing of beauty to watch those guys roll um because communication was unnecessary because they've been training to do these things so much so long that it's just you know it's touches nudges stuff like that not a word said and it was a beautiful thing to watch and how do you do that repetition 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 not only individually but as a team well, and that, that's something that we, you know, mentioned frequently to the survival dispatch audience is that a lot of people go buy a, you know, a gun and they may or may not get training. They may or may not go to the range. And even if they do go to the range, they'll buy some, you know, cheap full metal jacket ammo that doesn't behave anything like what their, you know, EDC ammo is. Myself, we're, we're friends with the guys who own Pilgrim ammo and they give us all kinds of ammo to shoot. I won't shoot anything but out of my nine millimeters, for example, because I want to be practicing with the same thing that if, if God forbid, if it's ever needed, everything's going to behave the same way. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Right. So not on that level. Is anybody else, do y'all have anything you want to share uh, before we wrap up this episode? I'd like to add one thing about the repetition, 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 which goes into your subconscious. So you don't have to consciously think about what you're doing you, you're going to react, and the way you've trained, you're going to react. Uh, what we'd like to really, really stress when we're training folks is it's not practice makes perfect. It's a perfect practice that makes perfect. So when you're out there on the range and you're out there training, even though it seems fake, for instance, if you're drawing your weapon, make every move perfect. Every move perfect as best you can. And so when... You have to act because something's happening. You're tr the, the moves you're going to do are going to be instilled in your head at the subconscious level at a perfect way, which means it's going to be the most efficient, the safest, and the quickest way. But if you, you know, I know a lot of shooters who've been shooting. Yeah, I've been shooting 20, 30, 40 years, and they're not very good because when they practice, they don't practice perfect practice. And of course, it can't always be perfect, especially when there's time limits on it. But try to practice that perfect practice. Get those 3,000 repetitions, what a lot of people say you need to make it go into your subconscious. So when you have to react, you're going to react perfectly without even thinking about it. Yeah, build great. that neurological memory. Yep, exactly. Yeah, That's what the great great thing about what you're talking about with the Mantis, and there's other training aids out there as well. I mean, you're not expending any ammunition at all, right? But you're going through the motions. You're working on... You know, your, your, uh, your skills under stress and you're getting better and you're working it every single day. Same thing when you were, when you're playing the, you know, that, that little end over there, right? You, you knew your job, you knew what a play looked like, you knew you were doing one of three things. And what makes football players great is that they have got a nose for it. And what that nose is, is experience. It's experience. It's recognizing patterns. It's seeing uh, certain signs and signals that, let them know from a defense standpoint um, where the ball's going and what the play's going to look like, right? The same thing, uh, we're talking about it. Talk is, talk is cheap, but get out and do something about it. Uh, I would just like to add uh, one final thing related to training. There is a course I know of 
taught by Carl Erickson. He's he goes by the Tactical Rifleman. He's a former uh, Master Sergeant Green Beret, and he's out of Kentucky. But he has something that's called high risk travel, and it was originally intended to be designed uh, and and taught to executives going overseas. But he's evolved the the class so that it really puts you in the mindset around how to protect yourself, your family when you're not at home, when you're in any situation. Uh, everything from escapology to defensive driving. So, you know, I think it has a lot of application to folks that are serious about taking this up to the next level and applying, um, you know, like like Mike said, some stress to it, some real life stress. That's awesome, Eric. Uh, that's kind of what I was getting at earlier because I wasn't aware of anything like that. So we'll be sure to share that with our audience. Anybody else got anything they want to chime in before we wrap up? You know, I'd like to uh, thank you, Chris, for doing what you do, because by putting folks together like we, we're doing here, what you do and getting the word out, I think it's very, very helpful for, for everybody who listens to you. And I think it's a great thing. And I appreciate what you do. Uh, thanks, Donna. That's very kind of you. Um, appreciate all y'all service to our country. Appreciate your time today. Uh, look forward to having you on Survival Dispatch News again. Hope you all have a great day. God thank bless. you. Mike, thanks, Eric. Stay safe out there. Hey guys, today's video is brought to you by Bike Tricks. Oh yeah! All right, guys, I got another awesome e-bike here. This is the from the Bike Tricks Juggernaut series. This is the Ultra Duo Three. This is a cream of the crop e-bike. As you can see, I was having a great time on it. Capable of over thirty miles an hour. This is the extended range bike. So the original batteries in here. Here's an extended battery. You've got over fifteen hundred watts of power and over one hundred miles in range. Has so many great features. This is not made in China. This is made in Canada. Matter of fact, it's made in Saskatchewan. So many great features. You have full suspension on the front end. You have a really, really top shelf LED display here. It's very intuitive. It's very easy to use. And um, I just, I highly recommend it. Really enjoyed my time on this bike. The Bike Tricks Juggernaut Series Duo 3. And as always, we'll have a link so you can check it out.